Welcome to the Hills Baptist Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us as we see Jesus glorified, lives transformed and hope revealed in the Adelaide Hills and beyond. We hope you enjoy this message. Setting the scene for, in a minute, I'm gonna invite three people up and we're gonna have a conversation. But before we do that, <clears throat> let's, let's set the scene around, around mental health. Beyond Blue defines mental health as this, a state of well-being in which every individual realises his or her own potential, can cope with the normal stresses of life, can work productively and fruitfully and is able to make a contribution to his or her community. So the goal is that we have mental health, right? The World Health Organisation defines a mental disorder as a clinically significant disturbance in an individual's cognition, emotional emotional regulation or behaviour usually associated with distress or impairment in important areas of functioning. Now, those two things are like very wordy. So I... I, I was reading and I found this lady called Dr. Deborah Cornea. Everyone say Cornea. She has a beautiful definition of mental illness, which I just think goes straight to the heart of it. And this is what she says. She says, mental illness is simply a loss of a sense of self. A loss of a sense of self. And here's why that impacted me. Because I think when we look at the world today, there is a lie going out about what it means to be human. And so we are seeing the fruit of that in that people have lost their sense of self because they're being told that self is not what God says it is. So as I set the scene, can we set the scene? Is that okay for five minutes? Yes? We're gonna set the scene of what does it mean to be human? First and foremost, let's go to Genesis chapter one because it's always good to start from the very beginning. Genesis chapter one, verse 26, says something about what it means to be human. Verse 26, then God said, let us make humanity, mankind, whatever translation you have, in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in His own image. In the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. Right at the beginning, in case anyone was confused, and I think our world's confused, God makes it very clear. Human beings are not an accident. You are not a bunch of atoms that randomly happen to collide with no sort of purpose or reason for being. You are intentionally created in the image of God. And that means there is male and female because that is part of what it means to be human and part of what it means to be a reflector of God's image. And there's this lie that's being spoken. It's been spoken for a number of years now that human beings are nothing more than atoms colliding. And we wonder why we have a mental health pandemic. Because when you say you're nothing more than atoms colliding, you therefore have no intrinsic value or worth. But when you understand that you are made in the image of God, the God who is, who was, and who forever will be, Yahweh, I am who I am, the creator of all things, the glorious, highly exalted one, when we realise we are made in His image, the only beings in all of creation, everything else He's spoken it was with us, we're made in His image. Hand fashioned and hand formed, then no matter what happens in life, no matter what your high school friends say about you, no matter what your mind says about you, no matter what's going on in your world, you have infinite intrinsic worth. And that must be our starting point. Now, now, let's keep going. I feel like I wanna preach, but I've gotta create time for these guys. Oh, forgive me, Lord. All right, (laughs) chapter two. Let's go to chapter two. So we're made in His image. How are we made? What do we know about God? We know that God is three in one, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We might not fully understand what the Trinity is. 
I did a whole subject at uni for almost 12 months on the Trinity and I just, at the end, just felt like I was, my head was gonna explode because there's some things that are above us, but he is triune, he is three in one. Watch this, chapter two, verse seven. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being. Here's what I want you to see. What does it mean to be human? What does it mean to have a true sense of self? When we look at Genesis chapter two, actually let's skip over to verse 15 as well so we get the full picture. It says, then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil for when you eat from it, you will surely die and on and on it goes. So God, he creates, he, he takes dust and he forms us and he breathes into our nostrils the breath of, breath of life and then he gives us purpose. And he says, work. And sometimes we think that work is a curse. Work is not a curse. Work is a blessing. Work is purpose. It's a part of what it means to be human. We have been given something to do, which is to tend the garden, the presence of God. Here's the thing that we gotta catch. In Genesis 2 verse seven, what does it mean to be human? He says, takes dust. That word dust is the Hebrew word afar. Everyone say afar. So he takes dust earth afar. Then he says that he, he um, breathes into, well, that man was there laying lifeless, right? It was lifeless and God is spirit. And it says that God breathed into our nostrils, which is the Hebrew word nishma. Everyone say nishma. So he breathes, his, and that means spirit. So we take dust or flesh and then he breathes spirit. And in that moment, comes the Hebrew word nefesh. Everyone say nefesh. So we've got dust or flesh. We've got the Spirit of God that's breathed into humanity. And when the Spirit of God and the flesh collide, what you find is the nefesh. And nefesh literally means soul or or emotion, mind. And then it says that we became that living being. So what do we see? We see that a human being is both dust, flesh, spirit, because the spirit, the nishma of God comes in and soul, the nefesh of God, which actually gives life to everything. That a human being is three in one, reflecting the image of God. So we have flesh, we've got the physical, we've got the spiritual and we have that emotional or that that soul, the light behind the eyes. And this is what it means to be human, that we have these three elements at play, right? And so if we have three elements at play, we're more than atoms colliding. We actually have, yeah, we've got a physical body. We have a spirit that indwells us, but we also have this this sense of emotion or mind or, or soul. Some of you saw this conflict where last night you tipped the Sydney Swans but your soul was longing for Collingwood to come through with the goods. So you're gonna have to, (laughs) no, it's just a sidetrack. But we see that there's three parts to him. Now, here's what that means for particularly when it comes to mental health. Here's what it means. And we looked at this and we're not gonna go into huge detail on this now, you can check it out. But it means that when we're talking mental health, there can be a root cause that could exist in the physical, in that emotional or spiritual, but because we are three in one, you can't separate them, which means it's going to impact the whole self. So if we don't have a true sense of self and understand that everything that happens to me is gonna impact spiritually, it's gonna impact emotionally, it's gonna impact physically, it's all at play in one moment in time, We've lost that sense of self. So there are some times with mental health where the root cause is physical. There's stuff going on in our mind that that we need physical, medical help with. And if that's you today, I wanna encourage you, go see a doctor and get that help. Get your physical right, and that will cause an emotional and a spiritual uplifting. 
Sometimes there's this, this, the soul, the emotional that's been impacted by trauma or events that have happened to us. And when we need healing in the soul, in the, in the emotions, and that will impact physically and it will impact spiritually. And sometimes it's a spiritual thing that we need help in, deliverance from. We need to see the hand of the Lord come at play, which will lift our spirit and our body. Are you with me? Again, that's a very quick summary. Go back, maybe we'll preach it again here in the fullness of what that is. But today, the purpose of what we're doing is to bring three people who have three distinct different stories. And they're gonna share a bit of their story. We're gonna bounce back and forth. And you're gonna see that for, for some of them, there's that, that real spiritual root that God had to work in. Others, the, someone else, there's this emotional sort of trauma root that God has moved in. And others, there's phys, someone with a physical ailment has impacted them with that emotional trauma and they've moved uh, to see healing. But in all cases, God has done a great work. So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna invite... Uh, David, Julian, and Tangie up. We're gonna give them a massive round of applause. <clears throat> hey guys, how are you feeling? Yeah, yeah good. <laughs> Wonderful. Now, I'll make sure I got my questions. So today, as we said, we've sort of given a bit of an overview that there's, there's a lot that's involved in mental health, a lot that's involved in our spiritual journey and what it means to have a true sense of stealth. Um, but what I'd love for you guys to do is have a few minutes each just to share a bit of your story, a bit of your testimony, a bit of, yeah, what God Tell us your journey with sort of mental health and, and God and what's gone. And we'll start with you, Dave, if that's okay. Gee, I got the good seat, didn't I? <laughs> so my story, um, been in the church all my life. So grew up in the church. So um, just be aware, just because you grew up in the church doesn't mean you're safe in the spiritual realm. Um, bullied a lot at school in Darwin. Um, not a good, not a good lot of memories. Um, a lot of other rubbish in life. Um, a lot of stuff had to get sorted out. God had a lot of work to do in me. How did that um, become uh, suicidal? A lot. Um, wouldn't think about it too often. Just probably every day. Um, never really got really serious about it. I don't think I ever would have pulled the trigger. Um, so part of my story is I uh, was not a very good school student. So it took me seven years to do high school. Um, but I had a love for animals, still have, and felt God, that's what God wanted me to do. But it's not good when you're in year 11 at Blackwood High and all your mates go to year 12 and you stay behind. And then you do year 12 and all your mates go to uni and you stay behind and decide to do it again. Um, so yeah, that was a struggle for me. Um, and then when I was a park ranger in the Flinders, um, I saw a, a Khaleesi virus, a rabbit virus that I study. I'm a biologist. Um, and I thought, that's just flipping amazing. And it just killed rabbits and the creation came back to life. And I was standing in my office um, at Wolpina and uh, I felt God say to me, gave me this idea of, of, I want you to do a PhD. And I literally looked up and said, are you on drugs? <laughs> And um, ultimately, um, we felt as a family, my beautiful wife, Kathy, who has always, she did a PhD, put hubby through. Um, <laughs> so two kids and a mortgage. And um, yeah, what the heck, quit a government job that's pretty well paying and, um, and not get the scholarship. So the first year was really tough. We went backwards financially. Um, but eventually I got the PhD, didn't, turned lead into gold like I thought I would with God in my corner, so there was disappointment there, um, and then went on the dole. And that was 2000, uh, December 2003, I got my PhD awarded, and in 2004, I was at my lowest point, and um, yeah, I, I somehow got through that, because um, I own guns, and that's not a good mix. Um, 
But even recently, you know, um, with stuff, I just, if stuff goes bad, I'll go, God, I wish I was dead. You know, just death was just something that was there. And so it ended up going and I've had a lot of prayer. A lot of, I pray with a lot of people. I'm a part of it, was a part of a prayer team in my old church and I pray with people. And um, so what happened one day, I was praying with um, a, a couple called John and Liz Lucas and walking free ministry. And um, they said, they were praying about stones in my heart for hurts when people had said things that had hurt me. And I interjected and said, I can see a hairy dude. And they said, what? I said, I, see, I can see a hairy dude over here. And in my mind, I could see a, a hairy creature that I describe as being like Cousin It off the Adams family, but without any eyes. And John just prayed. He said, Lord, just, we just pray against that in the, in the blood of in the, in Jesus. And, the, and, and I saw it become a pile of hair. It was like on a train platform. I can still see it now. And then he prayed and the hair was washed off and um, off the side and it sort of disappeared and the thing was gone. And uh, I said to John, what was that? And he said, that was, that was a demon, a demon of depression. And I used to, I mean, I got the best looking wife in the world and I got, you know, the best kids and I got a house paid off and I got, you know, I've got degrees and diplomas and, you know. It's like, what the frick are you, this, it's like unnatural. And it was unnatural because it was coming from the spiritual and since then, yeah, a lot better. Still not perfect. I'm a work in progress. Um, but yeah, that's the big part of my story. Yeah, wow. Thank you so much for sharing that. That's really, really powerful. But, um, yeah, the enemy attacks. He prowls about like a roaring lion. We need to be aware of the, the spiritual and that there is, there is a battle and a, a battleground. Julian. Do you want to share a bit of your story? Yes. Um, so there's a few similarities between our stories. I was like, okay, God, this is interesting. Um, yeah, so I think if I shared my whole story, it would take about an hour, so I'm going to cut out a lot <laughs> for everyone's benefit. Um, but essentially, I grew up um, in a Christian home from when I was about five years old. Um, like, obviously, it wasn't perfect. There was some dysfunction, um, but... You know, I knew that my parents loved me. Uh, but when I started school, um, there was a lot of difficult moments. Like I remember um, being called like lots of names, like certain different things. And I was a very insecure person. Um, I was very um, afraid of what people would think about me or say about me. Um, and I would, um, yeah, just actually receive what they were saying. Like I didn't have a very good self-esteem. Um, and so, yeah, like everything that they were saying, I was like taking it on, like you're this, you're that. And I actually started to develop this, this like self-hatred towards myself. And I started to actually reject who God had made me to be because I started to actually agree with what these people were saying. Um, and it was, yeah, quite a difficult time. Um, obviously, that wasn't every single day, but yeah, it just was like the overarching theme of my um childhood and my uh, youth as well. Yeah, so basically it got so bad to the point where in year eight that I wanted to um, like quit school. Um, and so I didn't want to be at the school that I was at. Um, and I remember just being like excluded by a lot of different people and um, just over silly things and you know how kids can be sometimes. Um, but because of, it affected me so much because of my self-worth was so low, um, because of I didn't actually know who I was. Um, I didn't know, like I was a Christian, but I didn't know God as my father. I didn't know him in that sense. I knew him as my savior, but not as my father, not as my protector. I'm not as the person that I could go to um, in that sense. Uh, so moving along into high school, things went from bad to worse. Um, and it was like, instead of some negative mean things that people were saying, like sometimes it was like almost every single day, sometimes every single day. And I just remember coming home from school, sometimes just bawling my eyes out and just not wanting to go on and just feeling this huge weight of depression and this anxiety because of what these people were saying about me. 
um, and what they were doing to me. And um, yeah, and just, I think the worst part of it as well was like just being excluded, like just excluding me from the group. Um, and yeah, that was really hard. Obviously I had friends, some friends, but um, yeah, there was like a lot of people that would just exclude and it was, yeah, it was quite difficult. Um, but I remember the, the turning point for me um, was when I was 17, almost 18. And I remember just praying and, and seeing God do stuff in my family and then experience um, more freedom and, and the presence of God. And I just remember praying and asking God for about a year and a half. Um, like, I wanna experience you like they're experiencing you. I wanna see that freedom in my own life. I feel so trapped and I, I just, I remember sometimes I would get quite angry because I could see God doing stuff in their life, but not in mine. And I was like, why, why Lord? Why is this happening in their life and not mine? And I went from being angry then to being upset to then being just desperate really, like really desperate for him to move in my life. Um, and I remember um, at my old church, um, we had some people visiting and they were like praying for people at the front, um, which wasn't super common for my church. Um, that I was going to at the time. And so I remember going up for prayer and I just remember someone praying for me and just experiencing the presence of God for the first time. And I remember just feeling overwhelmed by His love, overwhelmed by His presence and the power of God just flowing over my body. And I remember um, just kept, I kept on saying, God, you're so real. God, you're so real. God, you're so real. And I just remember like experiencing the fear of God but not in like a, the, the sense that you wanna run away, but the sense of like, wow, like I'm in awe of what you're, of you. Like you're so, you're not just in my head, like you're in my heart as well. And you're, you're, um, you're so real. Anyway, so that was like the beginning of my healing journey. I felt like a layer of anxiety, fear, depression came off of me. Um, but yeah, it was like a journey of then walking that out. Um, getting prayer from people, telling people what I was going through. Because a lot of the time I went, I didn't tell people what was happening because I, I thought I had to be this perfect Christian or appear this perfect way. Um, yeah, so that was, I suppose, yeah, the beginning of that journey. So, Thanks, mate, for sharing. That's really powerful. Really powerful. <clears throat> And so you can see, or like God at work, but through different, um, different sort of depressive symptoms coming from different root causes in, in these guys' lives and back God on the move. Tangie, do you wanna to talk to us a little bit about your story and what God's done for you? Absolutely. Um, so I grew up in a very toxic household. Um, it's just me, my mum and my dad. Uh, my mother was severely mentally ill. Um, she emotionally and psychologically abused me. Uh, it got really bad when I was 12. As soon as I hit adolescence, I think that's when it just got really bad. I endured um, the silence treatment for years. So for two weeks, she'll talk to me, and then two weeks, she will stop talking to me. I would be accused of doing disgusting, perverse things that a 12-year-old should never even have to hear about. And this would go on for hours of just being yelled at and me saying, no, I didn't do that, and just denying it and just constantly accusing me of doing things I didn't do. Um, to the point of uh, spreading these rumours onto my own friends as well as uh, like family members or um, in our social circle. So I would go to social settings and um, the other adults would just look at me with total disgust thinking I'm like this awful person doing really bad things. Um, I had no sense of love or safety at home. It was scary. I was constantly under the flight and fight mode, um, anxious fear of walking on eggshells. Um, I would ask my dad, please, like, help. Mum's um, saying this about me. Mum's uh, being really mean and unfair, Dad. Like, help me out. And he would literally just turn away, turn the TV on, and just ignore me. 
So I was very isolated and um, it was a very dark time. Um, and because of my mother's mental health, it started to affect me. It started to chip onto me, on my joy, on my drive for life and to be able to relate to other people, to be able to create healthy relationships with people because I started to fear others. I started to feel like everyone was out to get me, that nobody liked me um, uh, and I just could not relate to other people. So I just, life became really isolated. Um, I would be told that I'm ugly, I'm just unlovable, that I'm going to go to hell. So I grew up in a Muslim household as well. So the love of the father is not there. You are told you are constantly going to go to hell. Um, every single day I was worried I'm going to go to hell. So I experienced uh, physical abuse as well. My mum would make up rumours about me again to my dad. I'd, I'd come home from school and my dad's ready to hit me. Uh, my biggest low point, I guess, was around 15. I was just this shell of a person. I did not want to live anymore. I was ready to go. I remember sitting in the kitchen and I just wanted to end it. And I heard a voice say to me, no, not yet, no, you are special, I have a plan for you. I didn't know who this was. And so I just kept going. Every day it was scary. Um, there were good days as well when my mum was really like nice and fun and we'd go shopping and then I knew like in two weeks time on a Thursday she would flip and stop talking to me for two weeks and it was hard. It was so, so hard um, and it was a very frightening, frustrating and heartbreaking time. I, um, I believe my mum was the root cause of my own mental health struggles. I experienced um, post-traumatic stress disorder from my upbringing, anxiety, just that constant fight and flight mode. Um, and it wasn't till coming to Christ two and a half years ago and receiving so much prayer that I have finally been set free. Jesus has pulled me out of this dark place, darkness, and he's dressed me in new robes, new clothes. My old grave clothes are gone. He's blessed me with a new heart, new mind. And I, like, despite how bad my upbringing was, I'm so thankful that, my, I, that God saved my life, that I kept going because now I'm a mum of three kids. I'm, I have a beautiful husband. I feel so blessed that I can love my kids and give them a safe home. And yes, and the Lord has definitely helped break that generational curse in my family line through me. And I'm, I'm grateful. <laughs> thank you. Wow. Thank you. And again, um, these guys are sharing a lifetime story. And I said, just condense it to five minutes. So there's a, there's a whole lot more that could be said. And we really, it, we want to say as we, in that introduction, that it's not, mental health is not just a matter of, we'll just pray harder and it will go away. Um, so can you guys talk to us about that, your sense of God uh, in, in the midst of some of the dark times? Like, um, where did you feel his presence? Where was he in the midst of it? What was some of that journey and struggle with that? Um, I think one of the take-homes that you'll get out of our three messages so far is um, Proverbs eighteen twenty one says, there's life and death in the tongue. Be very, very careful what you say. Mm. Um, conversely, it's very, very powerful to say, in the name and the blood of Jesus Christ, get the frick out of my life. Um, and that's what I think all of us have done over and over again for different things. It's like peeling an onion and stuff deals it. For, for me, Dave, it's, you know, 
a loving wife. You know, she was there the whole time. In the early days, um, and, and, a, and a home fellowship group, you know, Brent and Di Wilsmore may not be here, that we grew up with. A, in, I grew up in the church, so, so I had that So a support. sense of God's presence through people as opposed to that spiritual, ethereal Yeah, feeling. Yeah, often I felt that he was miles away. Um, it's like, where the flip's going on? It's like, like he's saying, you know, why them, why not me? You know, and I grew up in the church, but um, it's really important to know him through the scriptures. You know, Ephesians 6.12 says that battles are not with flesh and blood, they're with powers and principalities. And, and I used to go in, our, in my old church and pray and say, God, what does that mean? Well, I've got a pretty good idea now what it means. I didn't think it was going to be me as being the example. But yes, yeah, so I now know that when I pray and to address a lot of this stuff, I'm praying into, the, into that spiritual realm. So, I think for me, um, when I think of when I was a kid and a teenager, a lot of times I didn't feel like God was with me. <laughs> like I didn't feel his presence. I didn't feel him there. Um, but I had to just have that faith that he was. Um, and I think, yeah, through obviously different people speaking into my life and like, you know, conversations with family, conversations with different people, knowing that he was there. Um, and then, but even in that, there were other moments where I did feel that he was there and I felt that he was right close to me. And I remember just having conversation, just talking with God um, and just sharing my heart with him. And I felt his comfort and I felt, um, yeah, that he was moving on my behalf. So it was, there was both. Like it wasn't just one or the other. Um, yeah. How about you, Tange? Just God's sense of God's presence in, in the midst of things. Yeah. Um, so I would say I didn't know who God was. Um, I stopped believing in Allah when I was very young. Uh, because one, my aunt, my prayers weren't being answered. I couldn't find a sense of comfort. Um, I would ask my parents, like, why do we have to pray in Arabic? Why can't I pray in English? And it was all like, if you don't do it this way, you'll go to hell. You won't get enough points to go to heaven. It was very, um, like, very hard, <laughs> a hard way to live. Um, and But in my heart, I knew... I had this feeling like there, God isn't that. Like I just had this feeling that God is loving. And so I started going on this bit of a journey where I wanted to, I started searching for God and I started looking into other religions and, and, and especially like crystals because I thought crystals were going to protect me from whatever at home attacks. Um, but I can share a very amazing encounter. When I was um, around 15, when my mum was yelling at me and accusing me of something I didn't do, she got really angry and flipped and like grabbed two knives and was about to attack me with them. And I ran straight down the hallway into my bedroom and I've shut the door and she's banging on the door and you can see the door like opening. And I'm, I'm using all my strength and I'm crying and I'm holding the door shut and then all of a sudden like I feel this presence right next to me and it's strong and I feel him like holding the door I thought it was an angel I didn't know who Jesus was at that time um, I grew up knowing Jesus is just a prophet not the son of God but I felt this presence holding the door and as much as my mum was um, banging on the door the door no longer could open and then all of a sudden on the wall next to me, I see a light appear and it was in the shape of a cross, this light. And I felt in my heart, God is with me. I don't know how I was able to connect the cross with God at that time. Um, now I look back and I know it was Jesus holding the door for me. He saved my life. I thought I was gonna die that day. And this cross appears, it's a miracle. And, and that is my first, I think, early encounter of his warm, protective presence and that love I never felt and finally got to feel. Wow, that's amazing. Praise God. So going, going 
off track a little bit from some of the questions I sent you. <laughs> what, um, what would your advice be to people who aren't on the other side, but are in the thick of it, who are, who are in that place where, well, I can't feel God, I can't sense God, mm-hmm. in that dark place, as people who have, who have sort of seen God at move and at work, what would your advice be to them and also to us as a church? So there's probably, there's people here who wrestle, 43.7% of people wrestle with mental illness according to the last census, which means 56 point, whatever that equates to, people don't. Uh, and don't get it and don't understand that sometimes it's physical, sometimes it's trauma, sometimes it's spiritual. What's your advice to us as well? Do I start again? Yeah, sure. I, one of the great strategies that was done with me that I, I do with other people who come to me and ask for prayer support was this um, process of, a, of asking Jesus for a box. And sometimes when you do that, when you're praying, it's a bit disheartening when you see a skip a big skip in, and you're going, crappies, there's a bit of stuff to deal with here. Um, one time I saw a tea chest. Some of you may not know what a tea chest was, but I grew up in the territory. I knew what a tea chest was. And you put in that, whatever the prayer point is, into that box. And sometimes, you know, I don't know what we would be praying about at the time, but with somebody, with a prayer partner, with intercessors, praying um, and, and just putting all that hurt, all that, loss, all that words that were spoken, all the bullying, all the pornography. I had a kid in year, year eight bring porn to school. Trust me, that screws you up big time. Um, you know, I mean, my issues, I, I had a prayer list for a wife. Uh, and I encourage you, Habakkuk 2, write the vision and make it plain. Um, and my wife, when she came along to a T, what I prayed for, including stuff that I crossed out. Um, <laughs> Um, God is God is good. Seriously, um, He wants the best for us, and He loves us in that way. Um, and so that strategy of with with prayer partners, um, just having that time of going, look, I really I'm carrying this, and you put it in a box, and you give it to Jesus, and you put it to the foot of the cross. But really, really importantly, is that scripture about don't leave the house clean without without asking the Holy Spirit to come back in, praying the Holy Spirit into that place and to clean that spot up, spot up that memory up, that hurt up. And it, it, it's a process. It takes a while. You discover, well, for me anyway, you guys are probably all fine. Um, <laughs> you know, for me, there's, there was just, stuff just kept coming out and I just have to keep putting it in a box and kept giving it to Jesus and then he'd give me the peace back and, his, and then it, it just wouldn't hurt anymore. It just, I still remember that stuff. I still remember those thoughts that, you know, it's pretty crap to get a PhD and then go on the dole when you've got a wife and three kids by that stage and a mortgage. Um, it's like, no, that's not part of the deal. You ask me to do a PhD, where's the job and the car and the house and the boat, you know? You have these expectations and, and that's, sorry if I just, I've got some verses here. That's the verse, the Proverbs, um, 13:12 hope deferred makes the heart sick but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life and that was my biggest issue hope deferred i had these expectations god you know i'm going to change the world you as me to us i'm going to you're going to use me we're going to you know oh it didn't happen oh you know and i didn't didn't get a wife i didn't get a girlfriend you know and all that and that just that's makes the heart sick made me very very sick and then i had to just deal with that and his time's not my time. You know, but when it was, when I did meet Kathy, it was the right time. Before that, I would have suffocated her. I was so, you know, when you deal with this sort of crap, sorry, when you deal with this sort of stuff in your life, um, you, you tend to react in a way. And for me, I would hold on and smother. And, and it has to happen at his time. So that prayer, that giving up to God, that asking the Holy Spirit and the peace in, that's the, a major tool to help you achieve this. Yeah, so good. Thanks, Dave. Awesome. I would say don't give up. Um, there were many times that I wanted to give up and I was like this close. Um, but yeah, my, my greatest advice would be don't give up. 
don't do it alone because a lot of, probably for like 15 years, most of it was alone apart from sometimes with my family or telling a few different people, but most of it was alone. So don't do it alone. People do care. People will listen, the right people. Um, And also to ask Jesus, ask God what he thinks of you. Because that's something that I practice even right now, like just asking God, like, what do you think of me? This is what this person's saying about me. This is what this thought is saying about me. But what are you saying? I need to hear your voice. I need to hear what you're saying. Um, And through the scripture, of course, as well, but also just directly through prayer and and hearing what he's saying. So I would say that's the biggest thing. Um, If someone's going through that, um, for people who are helping those through that situation, I would say, um, listen. (laughs) That's a huge thing. Just simply listen. Listen to those people. um, And don't just, if you don't understand what they're going through, if you can't relate, uh, if it sounds like it's not that bad and or whatever, but to the person it might be quite difficult because we don't know what's actually going inside. So I say, listen um, and uh, help pray, help them through um, and encourage. Yeah, that was very good. Um, absolutely. <laughs> and and also um, just come up and get prayer. If, you, if you're feeling like, you need to let something out of your chest. That's, that's the Holy Spirit guiding you to get prayer. And to the, the more you're able to talk openly about it, it's like the demons like go away. It's like you're bringing it to light and that somebody's praying for you, that you are just like surrounded by the Lord's love and his children love you and they're willing to pray for you. Um, don't isolate yourself. Find a friend that will listen to you. If someone tells you, well, you're just gonna have to put up with it because that's your parents or you stay in the toxic relationship because that's the right thing to do. Those are red flags to uh, not listen to that person because they don't understand what you're going through. You need somebody that is able to uh, help you with, um, with protecting you from ruining your own mental health, from your own mental health being in destruction because someone is treating you like awfully. The best thing to do is have someone that is there for you, that you can always go to, feel that support, have a prayer life with. Um, And also find this time to really build yourself up in Christ. There is so much amazing scripture that tells you how God sees you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are made in the image of God. Every hair on your head, he's, he's numbered. Like, you are brave. He speaks so much, like, power and strength into you. Even if you feel so weak, like you can't go on any moment, just pick up the Bible. There is something good in there, and God will speak to you. It is seriously a like living God-breathed word and he will guide you he will give you an exit out of it whether it's today or tomorrow or even in 10 years like for me like I suffered from like age 12 till about 21 until I got married and life started to get better but even still life got truly beautiful once I've received Christ in my heart and in my life. That's when pure healing came into place. And it's rapid. Like, I'm set free. No joke. I could have died and I could have really just given up on life ages ago. But Jesus has given me a new life and a new mind and a new heart. And I give him all that glory. So don't give up. Find him. He will appear. He really will. Get help. And I think what I love about that is it's looking at uh, there's that spiritual, like allow God to wash, allow him to breathe, that emotional, get people around you to speak life and truth. And there's also the physical. So get help. Like if it's a physical thing, get help. Go and see the people and the doctors and the people that you need because all of it's interconnected. So get help um, and tell somebody, don't do it alone. I love that word, don't do it alone because the enemy wants to, to just put us in a little corner and say, this is a shameful thing. Don't tell anybody about it. Just power through, but that's where, that's 
pain festers in the dark, um, but pain is there for a reason because pain reminds us that something's broken. And so when we bring pain into the light, we get perspective. And some of that perspective can happen through doctors. It can happen through uh, counsellors. It can happen uh, as we pray and as God's people get around us and as by His Spirit, He comes and fills us because God is the God who wants to see people walking in a full and whole sense of self, knowing who they are in Him and running in the fullness of who He is. So just as we close, because that conversation's gone awfully quickly, um, and the band will come up and we'll finish with a song. Can you just give us one last thought, one last insight? What have you learned about God? Like, there's that beautiful verse which talks about that God works all things together for the good. And sometimes we love to throw that around in church and sometimes we're in the thick of a dark place and someone says, God's gonna work it for good. Uh, Don't say that to them. Sometimes we're just like, oh. Um, but I love that picture of Job. Dave, we were talking about Job earlier and that idea that Job goes through this whole massive space of suffering and questioning and doubting and wrestling. And at the end of the day, he doesn't get an answer. But what he gets is a revelation of who God is and he's just humbled and he says, okay, you're God, I'm not. And so I'll trust you because of who you are. What have you learned, like Job, what have you learned about God in and through this that you just so treasure and wouldn't give anything up because of that? Um, that is just awesome, you know. Um, I think the, the take-home message that I would get, leave you with is 2 Kings 6.17, one of my favourite verses, when Elisha is in the, in, the, in, the, in the city and the servant wakes up and sees the enemy down below and they can smell the fires and they see the chariots and the war, they're surrounded. And you feel like that? I'm sure we all feel like that many, many times. And Elisha prays that he would see. And he could see perfectly well. He saw the soldiers and the chariots and everything. And then he sees the chariots of fire in the sky. And I think we, especially in the West, have to come to terms with this notion of spiritual warfare and that our God is big and that there is a power out there of chariots of fire that are here to help us, here to fight for us, fight for our kids when they leave home and move to another place. That's the realm that we pray into. That's the realm we believe in. That's, that's where the power and the might is of God. Um, do we understand at the time? Hell no. We're sitting there going, flip, get me out of this mess. But it's like he said to Job, where were you when I made the world? Who are you to understand my ways? And, and you don't often understand the journey and the process and certainly the time it takes. But when you meet the woman at the right time, you realize, oh, I had to be here. And when, you know, the period when I didn't have work was a period when I went through all this healing process. And you go, oh, that's why, you know, I thought I wanted a job three years ago, but I just cleaned a whole lot of rubbish out of my closet. Um, so he's just amazing. And, and loves us so much and wants, he wants us to have the best. The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that you may have life and have it in abundance. Amen. And that's what he wants for us. So good. Awesome. I would say that um, he is faithful. Yeah. He is faithful. Even when I didn't feel like he was, even when I didn't feel his presence or his, his nearness or closeness, he is faithful. And that's what I learned about him, that he never will give up. He never gave up on me. Even when I gave up so many times, he never, ever, ever gave up on me and he will never, ever give up on you. Um, yeah, just that he is so much more loving and kind um, than you would ever even imagine. He's not gonna go, oh my gosh, you're going through all this stuff, I'm gonna shame you, that kind of thing. No, he'll pull out his, pull out his hand and he'll say, come, yeah. take my hand and I'm gonna pull you out. That's who he is, just like the prodigal son story so that we all know. So, um, so yeah, I think that's when I think of God, what I've learned through it all, that he is a good father, that he is loving, he is kind, that he is faithful and he will never ever leave. I found Jesus 
Jesus is not a prophet. He is the son of God. Come on. He died on the cross for me, for my freedom and for my joy. God is faithful. He appeared to me, a daughter of a Muslim woman who was, who was broken. He appeared to me. He appeared to me in dreams. I heard him. He stood next to me. He protected me. He saved my life. He's blessed me with a brand new life. He's not given up on you. You need to pray and hold closer to Him and have faith that even though you can't see Him, He sees you. He has a plan for you and your life. He will not give up on you. Hold tight. Jesus Christ is Lord and He is so loving and He's the best. He's the bestest thing that's ever happened to me in my life. That's so good. Thanks. Praise God. I love, the, um, I love the image and the idea that if, if Jesus didn't forsake us on the cross, He's not gonna forsake us from an empty tomb. You know, they kept saying, come down from there, come down from there, come down from there. And, uh, and He chose to stay. Sometimes we forget that. He actually chose to stay. The enemy wanted Christ to come down because then His work would not be finished. But He chose to stay. Like it would have been awesome for him to come down and be like, boom. But then he wouldn't have suffered for us and he wouldn't have completed the work. So he chose to stay and he didn't forsake us then in his darkest moment. He sure as heck is not forsaking us from an empty tomb seated at the right hand of the Father interceding for the saints. And I love that. Um, Friends, can we just thank these guys for sharing so openly and vulnerably? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Hills Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to partner with us in developing and equipping passionate disciples who love God, love people and boldly share the gospel, you can do that at hillsbaptist.com forward slash giving. We pray this message has empowered you to live and love more like Jesus. Have an amazing day.